Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Part two of our series called Heroes. Uh, if you weren't here last week, go grab the, the CD in the back, go watch on YouTube, whatever it is. Get caught up. It's a really, really good series. But what we're looking at is how the Bible has these incredible moments of, of these people stepping into the moment and being heroes. Now, a quick observation, none of them actually knew they were being heroes when they were being heroes. You ever notice that? Like these, these are ordinary people. These are people just like me and you. And they had a moment that was carved out for them and they just stepped into the moment and they did what was right. They did what they thought God called them to do. They just stepped into the moment and then we look back on it now because no hero actually knows he's being a hero in the moment. And all these people in the Bible, they're ordinary, they're, they're, they're unique. They're... Last week we looked at a really, really inspirational hero that kind of gives like the big Braveheart speech and inspires everyone. But today we look at something really, really different. There was no speech. It was not something that he said. Rather, it was something that he did. And what he did in the most small and seemingly insignificant and even kind of weird decision that he made, he made a ripple effect that literally affected millions of people. It's an incredible story. Bow your heads and let's pray as we begin. God, I pray that as we open and unlock this story, God, would you unlock something in us? God, that we, would we glean from the hero of this story and that let that hero, God, somehow invade our heart and mind and help us to step into our moment when our time comes. Lord, that is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Daniel chapter one. And today I'm going to walk you through this story. And it is a fascinating story. Now, if you grew up in church, you maybe have heard some of this stuff. And I'm going to give kind of a, a brief overview. But what I want to show you is, is that all the cool parts of this guy named Daniel, all the cool parts of his life are really unlocked by one simple, singular moment. There's a story later, we'll, we'll mention it, where Daniel is in a den full of lions for a whole night. And the Bible says he comes out alive and and then there's another story where there's like a handwriting on the wall and Daniel interprets it. I mean, there's just some cool stuff. But it all hinges on one excuse me, singular moment. I want you to read it with me. Daniel chapter 1, it says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the bad guy, he's the king of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, let me pause, because in that one single verse, if you're just reading the Bible, that's the type of thing you just keep reading over, and you have no idea how huge that was. Like, picture this. Israel is its own nation. It has its own capital. It is its own people. And then the big evil galactic empire and the emperor... Nebuchadnezzar come and literally besieged the city. This is what they mean. He had an army bigger than yours and surrounded the city and said, nothing's coming in and nothing's going out. And we're either coming in to kill you if you don't surrender. And it is over. And Babylon was the reigning empire. It was the dominant world power. And it besieged, it ransacked. And they were doing this all over the world. They would come in, dominate, take over, ransack. And that's what they just did to the people of God. That one verse is not insignificant, but it sets the story. So verse 2 says that it was the Lord that delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. They ransacked the temple. These things he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon, and they put him into the treasure house of his God. Man, I wish I could tell you about that. That's incredible. That, that's another sermon another day. It's so good. Then, everybody say then, 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, that's a funny name, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials. So, so Nebuchadnezzar has a chief dude, his name is Ashpenaz, and he, he's to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, meaning just the, the upper class, highfalutin, smart, skilled. This is what he goes on to say. He goes, bring me young men without physical defect, some good looking men, showing aptitude, they're smart, for every kind of learning, they're well informed, they're quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He, this guy Ashpenaz, he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians and the king even assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table and they were to be trained for three years and then after that, they would go serve in the king's palace. Now, you gotta pay attention to this because this is pretty brilliant. Okay, a lot of world leaders didn't do this. Nebuchadnezzar, I think, was pretty smart. Think about this. Every people group that he ever dominated, most of the time, a king would basically enslave people or kill people, or they would just bring government into town and set up shop. And then let... he was so smart. He was like, no, 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 no. If we just conquered these people, bring me the best and the brightest and the sharpest and the smartest people from that land and bring them here to the capital. They're going to work for me. That's pretty, that's pretty smart. And that's what, this, that's what the story is. He's bringing these young men to come. And he says, you're going to learn, you're going to get new names, you're going to learn the language, the literature, all this stuff. And by the way, I've got some food for you. You need to pay attention to this. I got some food for you. But verse 8 says, but Daniel. So there's a story, and then there's a but Daniel moment. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile. Everybody say defile. Not to defile. Like, don't make me defile myself. Now, the reason why he would have felt defiled is a a number of different reasons. If you were Jewish, they had strict dietary laws, right? So you, you couldn't eat pork, no shellfish. You couldn't have ribs and pork chops and bacon. You couldn't have bacon. You couldn't have shrimp. You couldn't have a lobster. I was just recently in Vermont. I had lobster. It was like you break it open and then you take his little claw and then you suck the juice out of the claw. They've never done that before. (laughs) Daniel had never sucked the juice from a crab leg or whatever that thing is. It was kind of weird. It's kind of, it feels like an alien, like a little. So they never did that because they had strict dietary laws. The other reason why they would have been defiled is because Usually in that world, what they were actually doing was they would take these animals to the god Marduk and they'd make these big sacrifices and then they would eat the leftovers. So this was literally food that was somehow offered in worship to the god Marduk. And that was, so they were like, no, 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 we don't eat food offered to idols of dumb things that don't even exist. It's ridiculous. And we're kosher. So we're just not having lobster and bacon or you can't have bacon wrapped shrimp. Now that's, Uh, so anyway I'm distracted so he said I will not defile himself this way now here's one of the things that you're going to kick back against in life is is one of the things that you fight and you struggle with is that you separate things in your mind sometimes you think certain things are normal just everyday things and you think oh this is spiritual you ever do that like church that's kind of spiritual prayer you know worship giving all that spiritual stuff and then i have my nine to five and my everyday and my cup of coffee because the best part of waking up is folders in your hand so like that's just normal todd i put on both legs at a time and just like everybody yeah i just just normal and what you have to realize is that there is no difference between spiritual and normal everything is spiritual 
Everything is connected. Everything is, is somehow intermingled and it is all connected. There is no sin. And so what Daniel does is seemingly something ordinary. He chooses to go with this diet instead of that diet. But what you need to know is this, is decision making is a spiritual thing. He makes a decision that seems to be normal. It's just about his diet, but it has huge ramifications. And then here's what you're going to see as the story unfolds, is that heroes make incredibly tough decisions. That's what separates them from everybody else, is the hero says, no, no, I'll make a tough decision. I'll do what seems to be odd or weird or unique or whatever. As a matter of fact, there's this, y'all remember, uh, there's a TV show, this is going to date some of you. Y'all remember Candid Camera? Yeah, that's, I want you to think about this. That show started in 1948. You're like, dang, I'm that old? Yeah. So, so all you, you, you little whippersnappers in here, listen, this is, it was a show. This was the original show where they stuck a video camera and, and filmed people when they didn't know they were being filmed. And then now, we just call them fail videos now, pretty much. So, uh, but but these were, this was like candid camera. And, and what they had, this one episode, though, and the one episode was called Facing the Rear. And what they did was, is they had one person come into an elevator. Everything just seemed normal. And then how many know, which direction do you face when you're in an elevator? You face the door, right? So what they did was, is they, that you'd get in the elevator and you'd face the door like normal. And then they would send at the next, at the next flight down or whatever, they'd send in three people to just stand facing the back of the elevator. Yeah. And they would just want to see, will the guy turn around or will the girl turn around? And they noticed that when they sent in three people that usually the person just felt weird, but they didn't turn around. But they'd go down one more flight, they'd send in one more person, and one more person would come and stand almost looking at them and just stand facing the rear. And do you know that every person turned around? It was too weird. It was too, it was, it's too awkward. I'm facing the door like normal people. Everybody else is facing the other way. And they all turned around. And, and what this tells you is that this person felt overwhelmed by the social pressure to fit in, right? You got to remember the social pressure that Daniel was under here. He was a foreigner. He had come to a new land. How many know you want to fit in? You want to have some friends. You don't want the king to behead you. These things are important. And so you, you, you're trying to fit in. And they give him these new foods. And Daniel says no. The Bible says he, he purposed in his heart or he resolved. He took a stand and said, no, no, no. My dietary laws, I know they're not that big of a deal, but they're mine and I will not compromise. And that's the story of what goes on here. The whole story hinges in this moment because Daniel refused to compromise. Because here, here and here's what I know about you. Every day you have an opportunity to compromise. In your family, with your words, at your work, with your... I I just know there's moments where you believe something. You feel a conviction about something. You know the difference between right and wrong. And yet you feel the social pressure even at times to go ahead and say, I want to to fit in. Because you got to remember, like, can you imagine? They could have justified eating the food. I think they could have, right? Because they could have been like, hey, look, our lives are on the line here maybe. We do want to fit in here. We want to be on the king's good side. Let's just let this one go. I mean, we're not going to go murder anybody. This is just bacon. And I bet it tastes really good. I mean, the way people talk about it. I bet bet it's probably not that big of of a deal. But see, here's the thing. Is when you learn how to hold on to your convictions in the little things, it gives you the strength to hold on to your convictions in the 
in the big things. And when you compromise in the little things, you are more likely to compromise later in the big things. And so what you see is that Daniel refuses to compromise his convictions. And now look at what you're about to see here. Because watch this. What you're going to see is this, is that when you do the right thing, even when no one is watching, you invoke the favor of God. If you ever wanted God to like recognize you, look on you, trust you with more, just remember that when you do the right thing, even when you could have gotten away with it, nobody would have known, you wouldn't have gotten caught, you invoke the favor of God. Because watch this. Look at this. First Daniel, the very next verse, verse 9 says, Now God. Everybody say, Now God. So you go from a but Daniel to now God. Okay? So now God, because of Daniel's conviction, He has caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, he goes, look, I'm afraid, okay? Y'all ought to be afraid. I'm afraid of the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king is going to have my head because of this. So Daniel said to the chief priest who had been appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mashiel, Azariah, his buddies. He goes, we'll do this. I'll give you I'll give you this. Just test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. God, that's tough. (laughs) Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Like just, he's just saying, hey, 10 day showdown. Who looks better? The king and all their fine foods and wines and and non-kosher idol worshiping food. And just give me some vegetables and water. Now, if you know anything about diet, what you know is, is that man, if you eat nothing but vegetables for 10 days, it's a colonoscopy. It's a cleansing. It's a freeing. It's a leaning. When you eat a bunch of salty foods and high sodium and you drink a lot of wine, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act all holy up in here. What, what y'all know, you look a different way. So I think what happened was, is all of a sudden after 10 days, Daniel's like, shabing, and he's got eight pack abs and he's like doing one of these and everybody else is feeling a little bit, you know, squishy on the king's diet. And they're like, dang, man, check that out. That guy's just ripped and shredded. That guy could be on the cover of Men's Health. Let's go. Let's go with the veggie diet. And all the young people said, yeah, amen. This sermon's stupid. Uh, so, so what happened was, so, 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 so at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard, this is brilliant, the guard took away the choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Can you imagine all the other men that were like in this group and that weren't Jewish? Like, I think Daniel might have gotten beat up at lunch the next day. Like, are you kidding me? They took away the wine and the bacon. Now I'm eating vegetables because of you, you punk. And so anyway, that's just my opinion. That's probably what I would have done if I would have been one of the other young men. So to these four young men, God gave. Everybody say God gave. So you see that, that Daniel has a but Daniel moment, but then God shows up in their world and gives them favor. And then he gives them even more because when you can hold on to your convictions in the little things, God can trust you with big things. You're going to see this in the rest of the story, by the way. So it says to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king, which was about three years, To bring them into the service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal 
to Daniel and his three friends. And so they entered the king's service. In every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the other magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So you got to see, here's this image of them. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. It's the food. I mean, Todd, they didn't commit murder. They didn't steal. They didn't go worship the idols. They're just trying to fit in. It, it, it's just some food. Would God have really cared? Would God have smote them? No, of course not. But I'm telling you that when you make a stand on your convictions, that you capture the attention of God, and God is able to entrust you with more. And I'll prove it to you, because this is what happens in the story. If you fast forward about 60 years, this is what happens next. In about 60 years, there's a new leadership This king came and dominated that king. Now there's a new sheriff in town and there's a new king in town. And what happens is, is that basically the new king loves Daniel, right? Remember, he's smarter than everybody else. Godly, he's a good dude, he's smarter than everybody. And so he goes, you know what? I'm going to put you, I'm the king, but I'm going to have three people run the whole kingdom and you're going to be one of those three, right? Well, all the other guys are jealous, And so they're like, you know what, let's get Daniel. Remember that punk that made us eat the vegetables? Let's get this guy in trouble. And so they start looking into his life and they're like, the guy's a Boy Scout. There's nothing. He's a good dude. He's a godly dude. There's nothing we can find. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. We know he honors his God, so we're going to trap him. And here's what we're going to do. So they go to King Darius, and this is so smart. They're like, King Darius, um, we think that you are so awesome that like the whole kingdom should worship you and only you for like 30 days because you're the man. And Darius is like... God, that's true. I mean, I kind of am a big deal. Let's do it, right? And so they make it, the king makes a decree and signs this thing saying that nobody can worship any, any God other than King Darius for like 30 days, right? And what do you think Daniel's gonna do? So it said, now when Daniel learned, this is chapter six, this is 60 years later. Remember when he was captured, he was probably 15 to 20. This is 60 to 65 years later. He's a little older now. He's a little long in the tooth. But it says, now Daniel learned that the decree had been published. And so he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. You know what he did? He made a a big deal over a little conviction, and now he's going to make a big deal over a big conviction. I'm not going to go worship the king. That's ridiculous. And I will not dishonor or offend God. So that whole thing about don't pray and don't worship and all that, yeah, 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 I'm going home. And this is my opinion. I could be wrong. I'm reading in the story a little bit. He could have closed the windows. You can pray with the windows closed. There's nothing in the Bible about needing the windows open. You don't got to face Jerusalem. I think he did it out of a little bit of audacity. Like... Uh, y'all can look in here. I'm going to pray right here so everybody can see me. I think he may have even prayed a little bit louder that day. Because I think he was annoyed. You know when you get a little older, you can get a little cantankerous. And I think this is what he was saying was this. Because here's what you need to know. Here's the point. Heroes are not afraid of offending the wrong people for the right reasons. Let me say that again. Heroes, they don't care. They're not afraid of offending the wrong people for the right reasons. And you see this all throughout Scripture. You see Jesus had no problem offending Pharisees. He was offensive. He called them a brood of vipers. 
He called them mean things. He said stuff like this. He goes, on the outside, you look like whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. That's offensive. And Jesus didn't care. You see this all throughout the Bible. You know, Moses, he was afraid of offending, offending Pharaoh. He did it anyway. He, all, Paul offended everybody, apparently. The Apostle Paul's traveling around the Mediterranean Rim, offends tons of people, didn't care because heroes don't care if, if, if. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and be offensive. I'm telling you to go out and honor God. And if that happens to bother somebody else, that's okay. If you have to choose between offending God or offending a person, go honor God with your life because heroes aren't afraid of doing what's right. It's as simple as that. As a matter of fact, there's this great story. Martin Luther, if you know anything about maybe why we exist today as a church, is it dates back to a man named Martin Luther, who was a monk. But he was an educated guy, and he was a student of Scripture, and he noticed that the Catholic Church had become abusive. He was taking advantage of people. Literally, they were selling forgiveness, right? Now, that's a money-making deal right there. If you can tell people that their loved ones are stuck in purgatory, and if you'll give enough, we'll get them out, I mean, I could pay for the building. Can I get an amen? Like, I could get this thing wrong right now. Now, that's heresy, and it's not true, but they were, they were selling forgiveness. And, and so Martin Luther's reading the Bible, and he's annoyed and irritated, and his convictions are bothered. And so he goes, and he writes 95 points of argument. And he goes, and he, he nails it to the door of the Catholic Church. Now, it sounds like really, really bold. That was kind of normal in their day, by the way. Like, that would be bold if you went to my office and, like, nailed something to my office door. I'd be annoyed with you, by the way. You'd make you come back and fix it. But this was normal for them. And so, so they literally go to this thing, and it's called, it's the weirdest name, it's called the Diet of Worms. And then when you first hear that, you're like, what in the world? Well, the town was called Worms, and the Diet was just a political gathering. That's all it meant. So it's called the Diet of Worms. And they have this huge argument and this huge debate and this huge throwdown where Martin Luther's saying, this is wrong, this is ungodly, this is unbiblical, you are abusing people, you're, this is all bad. And he just goes off, right? And they're threatening, and they're like, look, we're going to throw you in jail, we might kill you, this is all bad. I mean, it could get nasty and ugly. And listen to what Martin Luther says. Martin Luther says, My conscience is taken captive by God's word. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to act against our conscience is neither safe nor us, for us, nor open to us. On this I take my stand, I can do no other. God help me. I think that's what what you always pray. You get up and you make your brave heart speech, but if you're like, but God... Please step in here, you know. I'll die on this stake, but God, please, I don't want to. But look at those words. My, my conscience is taken captive by God's word. That says I don't compromise in little areas. And if I won't compromise in little areas, God gives me the power and the strength and the grace and the favor. And he knows that he can trust me when it comes to big things. Because here's what takes place here. If you know the story, they say don't worship Anything other than Darius for three, 30 days, right? And Daniel says, yeah, yeah, I don't even care about that. Open the door, pray louder. My conscience is taken captive. I'm going to hold my ground. I will not succumb to the social pressure of standing backwards in an elevator. As a matter of fact, there's this other story. If you're, if you're a basketball person, anybody ever heard of Rick Barry, all-time Golden State Warriors, NBA champion? Good. Rick, Rick Barry was known for something. He was a 90% free throw shooter, but do you know what he was known for? 
That's how he shot a free throw. They called it granny style, which is insulting to all the grandmothers out there. Right? Because granny didn't have enough arm strength to get the ball up, so granny had to do this. Well, Rick Barry was a 90% free throw shooter. And so he would always shoot like this right here. Well, uh, funny enough, Wilt Chamberlain, who, who is maybe the greatest scorer in NBA history, once scored 100 points in a, in a game, in one game, scored 100 points. And the reason why he did it was, now his whole career, he stunk at free throws. But he finally said, you know what? Fine, I'll shoot granny style. So the game that he shot and scored 100 points, he made 28 of 32 free throws, shooting like this. But everybody made fun of him. So he stopped shooting at granny style. And nobody has ever shot granny style since. They had a physics professor come and analyze free throw shooting. And they said, granny's better. 45 degree angle with backspin. It's just better. It's way more effective. Nobody shoots granny style. You know why? It's too embarrassing. It's too weird. Lance, you know what it's like. We're at the gym. We're missing free throws left and right. Have we ever done this? No. It's too embarrassing. Sometimes in life, the social pressure is saying, hey, you live in a world where you ought to stand backwards in the elevator. You you live in a world, just do it like everybody else does. Hey, you live in a world, hey, no one will know, you'll just fit in, you don't want to offend, it's not a big deal. Does the Bible really say, I mean, we come up with all these ways of justifying a God saying, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just hold strong to your conviction, watch The power of one little decision. Okay, fast forward. Watch this. So they get Daniel in trouble because he prays with the window open. And they decide the punishment is that he has to spend the night in a lion's den. And it was really just a death sentence. That's all it was. Because they just would starve these lions and then they would throw a person in there and say, good luck, we'll see you tomorrow. And and so literally what happens is is that Daniel goes into this lion's den and they cover it up. And Darius is freaking out because Darius liked Daniel. He liked him. The only reason he went through with it is because he made a decree and he had to hold through to the decree. And so he, he, he doesn't want Daniel to die. So he prays all night for Daniel. And remember, Daniel's got to be up in his 80s, maybe even pushing 90. You know, when you're 20 and you're in a lion's den, you know, you can be like, okay. <laughs> you know, when you're 80, you're not spry anymore at 80 at that point, you know? You know, I thought for a second, I thought, you know, maybe at 80... He'd been eating nothing but vegetables all of his life. He didn't have a lot of protein on them bones. He was 80. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe, he, maybe they took a whiff and were like, no, nah, we're going to let it pass. We'll wait till tomorrow. You've been eating vegetables your whole life. Not a lot of meat on them bones. I don't know. But well, well, here's what the Bible says. And we'll go with what the Bible says. The Bible says that God sent an angel to close the mouth of the lions. And so sure enough, they open up the lion's den the next morning. And there's Daniel. What took you so long at 6.30? You should have been here half an hour ago. I don't know what he says, but there he is alive. And Darius is so blown away by the moment. Listen to what he says. Little decisions make huge impacts. One little decision to maintain just his diet. To honor God in the small ways. Look what happens when he needed to honor God in the big ways. And now look what God does. So Darius, blown away by the moment, he makes a new decree. And the new decree is this. Daniel 6.25 says this. King Darius wrote to all the nations. All the nations. This is the known world. All the nations. And peoples of every language in all the earth. That means as far as we know, we're sending this out. And this is what he sends out. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. 
For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. One little decision to maintain his conviction when it came to his diet. Set the stage for the greatest evangelistic moment in the history of the world. You never know what God might use you through. You never know. You never, here's the other problem too. The other problem is on the opposite end. You never know what God might have done had you held your conviction. You never know what God might have done in you and through you had you not compromised. But if you'll trust God in the little things, see everything's spiritual, everything's connected. You have no idea the ramifications of one little decision. I'll prove it to you like this. Back in 1960, there was a guy who was a scientist. You're gonna know this story once I get to the end of it. His name was Lawrence and he was an MIT professor and scientist. And he was predicting weather patterns. And what he was doing when he predicted weather patterns, you ever wonder why the weatherman doesn't get it right very often? It's because as soon as one little thing changes, it changes everything else. So they can't only forecast so far into the future because little changes make big effects. And so what he was doing was he was entering in numbers into a computer, into a program that he had created so that he could predict the weather pattern. And one day he was in a hurry. And on his way out the door, he's jamming in these numbers and he misses one number. Now, not one number. I'm going to nerd out for one second here. And I mean, in math, when you have a decimal and then you move to the right of the decimal, it's the tenths, the hundredths, and the thousandths. We're in the decimal world. He missed one number in the thousandths place of one number that he entered into his program. And he was in a hurry. He knew he made the mistake, but he was like, oh, forget it. I'm going to dinner. I'm going to be late. I got this thing. I got to go. And he goes, I'll check it in the morning. I'm sure it will make no difference. And when he got back, he realized that the entire thing had shifted. Everything had changed, that the weather was radically different down the road. And he figured out that one little number in the thousandths place is the equivalent of a butterfly flapping its wings one time. Just that one little puff of air has the ability to change everything in the future. It's what we know now as the butterfly effect. You have no idea what's at stake. You have no idea what God wants to do. You have no idea the ramifications of one moment of making a heroic decision, of holding your ground, of of standing firm on your convictions. You have no idea what will happen over one little compromise. The moral of the story is this. Never underestimate the significance of one heroic decision. Let's pray today. Hey, is there an area where you're compromising? Is there an area, maybe, maybe because you've got a bunch of students, is there an area where you might be tempted to compromise at school? Compromise your faith. Compromise what is right. Maybe compromise in the way you'd treat another human being. Is there, is there a compromise, adults, or is there a compromise maybe you're making at work or in your marriage? Is there a compromise with what you're, you're listening to or looking at? Is there a compromise with maybe a moral or ethical decision? Because here's the deal. I'm here to challenge you today. I want you to be the hero. Now, it might not feel like being a hero right now, but you just don't know. 
you just don't know what one little decision can do. And so, God, I pray and lift up these great people, God. Would you bless them with strength and courage? God, would you help them to stand firm on their conviction to know you and to serve you and to follow you? God, to simply do what is right because you have defined what is right. God, would we be able to do what is right because it is in our convictions to honor you with our life, God? And would you take those moments and do something great? Could you take those moments, God, and make it a ripple effect into the future, into our future families, into our future relationships, God? Would you do something great in us and through us, Lord? That is our prayer today, in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Yeah, can we give the Lord a big hand clap today? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.